Many of our favorite artists and bands had already broken up or stopped making their essential music by the time we came along. In other words, we missed experiencing the album drops as they happened. We couldn't buy Rubber Soul or Pet Sounds or Sgt. Pepper's on the day that it came out, along with the rest of the world in real time. Instead, our way into some of the great artists was through compilations or greatest hits albums. In this episode, we talk about the best of the best. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. This show is sort of like car talk meets behind the music. Ooh, Clint, I like that. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, what is the greatest, greatest hits album of all time? That's the age-old question. All right, Clint, right off the bat, I think we need to provide some parameters around what it is we're talking about. We're not necessarily talking about like the compilation with the greatest songs. Right. And there are some music fans that turn their nose up at greatest hits albums. Big time. <laughs> who think that it's just a money grab by the artist or the record label or that it's not a representation of the original creative vision. Right. Right? Yeah. But I look at greatest hits albums as like the gateway drug. I wrote the exact same thing. <laughs> I have literally the exact same thing written in my notes. Gateway drug. Gateway drug. <laughs> and there are a lot of music snobs out there that... <laughs> <laughs> Literally. All right. Okay. Well, well, we have the same brain. Same brain. So, yes. So, yes. So, I am not in that camp. No. Because I appreciate the hits. I love the hits. I, if I'm going to get into a new artist, yeah. I want to hear the hits. Right. I, if I love that artist, I'll go back and find the deep cuts. But the greatest hits album is the way that they get their hooks into you. Yeah. And yes, it's a money grab. Yep. But let's talk about the fact that there's no more greatest hits albums. When you go through the list of greatest hits albums, they all stop at a certain time. 2012, 2013, maybe 2014 was the last one I saw because streaming comes in and now anyone can make a greatest hits album. It's right. just a playlist. They don't need record labels or artists to do that. No, for them. I have a greatest hits album of every band I want to listen to. I decide what the greatest hits are. That's interesting. It's interesting because now it's not up to the artist to decide their favorite songs. But what I did was I thought about my childhood and what were the gateway drug albums that got me into that artist. All right. So when I was growing up, first concert I went to, Kenny Rogers. Oh. Kenny Rogers at the Fort Wayne War Memorial Coliseum. We're on the aisle and it's actually in the round. So it's in the center of like the arena, like the yeah. hockey rink. It's in the center and there's chairs all around. And we're sitting on the aisle and he walked right by us. And we were big Kenny Rogers fans. Uh, you know, I'm from India. That's what we, country music. So this album was purchased by my family. The other thing about this is greatest hits albums are many times for me, it was given to me or I found it. Right. In it, your parents' in collection. Parents collection. Yeah. So when you start to listen to it at that young age, it really leaves an impression. Many people may not know Kenny Rogers' music as well as I do, but this had some 
hits. The Greatest Hits album reached number one on both the pop and the country charts in the mm. U.S., and it featured three singles that were not included on any of Rodgers' studio albums. One of those was Lady, which was written and produced specifically for Kenny Rogers by Lionel Richie. Hmm. Lady, for so many years I thought I'd never find you. You have come into my life and made me whole. This album sold 24 million copies worldwide. And in country music, today it remains the best-selling compilation release of all time, beating out Garth Brooks's The Hits. Huh. So, Kenny Rogers, track number one, The Gambler. You got to know when to hold up. Never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the deal is done. Uh, when you talk about a campfire karaoke situation, there's no bigger song in the world. I mean, people love to sing that song. And this is a song that my dad and I have bonded over for, you know, yeah, for 40 years. <laughs> Definitely. You got no win, win, hold them. Everybody wants to do that on the right. first chorus, and you got to like, whoa, 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 hold on, wait till the end. You got to know when to hold them, when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away. It's so good. <laughs> oh my god, my favorite on this one. Well, I have a couple. Track four is Ruby. Don't take your love to town. You've painted up your lips and rolled and curled your tinted hair. Ruby, are you contemplating going out somewhere? The shadow on the wall tells me the sun is going down. So Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town is about a Vietnam vet who is in a wheelchair and his wife is going out and mm. leaving him at home. But it's just so... And it's the last verse that it drops all the way out. She's leaving now because I just heard the slamming of the door. The way I know I've heard it slam 100 times before. Oh, it's so good. That's kind of his mojo, right? Same with the gambler. Right. Coward of the county. Promise me, son, not to do the things I've done. Walk away from trouble if you can. Now it don't mean you're weak if you turn the other cheek. And I hope you're old enough to understand. Son, you don't have to fight to be a man. Like you probably don't you probably don't even know this album. And I think I had this on eight track, and we had a car that had eight track, and this is one of the few eight tracks we had. So it was all, all it was the time. always on. When I listened to this last night, it brought up this deep nostalgia. Yeah. I could smell the car. Right. It was like this 
very deep emotional thing and his voice is so good so i put kenny rogers high on my list love it and it's the best-selling compilation of all time in country music so it's got to be in the conversation a good one we have an entire episode on the fact that some people just can't abide the eagles (laughs) but still eagles greatest hits 1971 to 1975 was the best-selling album of the 20th century oh my lord in the united states and it remained the best-selling album in the U.S. until it was surpassed by Thriller after Michael Jackson's death in 2009. And guess what? In August 2018, it regained its position <laughs> as the best-selling album in the oh, United States. On. The album includes nine singles released between 72 and 75. So, Clint, the band initially wasn't happy with their manager, Irving Azoff, and the record label for cobbling together the songs and what they thought was a ploy to make some more money without having to pay new production costs. But two big reasons they ultimately came around on this idea. One, they made a ton of money. Still making money. Two, it gave them more time to work on their 1976 album, Hotel California. That song would win the Grammy for Record of the Year, though the album of the year went to Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. And Hotel California is one of the best-selling albums of all time. More than 26 times platinum. 32 million copies sold worldwide. Whoa. Point is, having more time to work on that album was probably a good thing. Hmm. Now, back to their Greatest Hits album. Highlight of the album for me, Take It Easy. Written by Glenn Fry and Jackson Brown. As a recording, I think it captures what the Eagles did so well. Their rich harmonies, the tinge of country to their folk rock. And Jackson Brown, who wasn't in the band, but was friends with those guys, had started writing the song in his apartment in the Echo Park neighborhood of L.A., near where Glenn Fry was living. Brown was stuck on the second verse. He had, Well, I'm standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona. And Glenn Fry jumped in to finish the line. Such a fine sight to see. It's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed Ford, slowing down to take a look at me. Well, I'm standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, such a fine sight to see. It's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed Ford, slowing down to take a look at me. Come on, babe. <laughs> so And Clint, as you know, my oldest son's name is Winslow. I was just wondering, is this the... (laughs) Unrelated to the song, but still, I've always had a soft spot for that. Absolutely. All right, so the Eagles. The Eagles. All right, my next one. I know you know this one. Simon and Garfunkel's Greatest Hits. Mm. Also, can you visualize the covers of these Greatest Hits albums from your childhood? Yes. Like, I can see this album cover in fact i think i got this one off a bmg thing where you pay like two cents and you get 14 cds sent to your house right i think i got the simon and garfunkel's greatest hits from that one day we'll have to talk about the like the economics of the bmg like how that worked yeah how who made was it a was it a ponzi scheme i think they were just i think they were just gateway drugging us i think they were just hooking us that's that may be it i mean that may be it who knows? But it doesn't seem financially. I don't think you paid like shipping and handling. An right. extraordinary amount of shipping and handling. Like right. $5 shipping and handling. Right. But the CDs. And yet one CD costs like $16. Right. right. What is the, Yeah. 
this is something. We'll happened. have to we'll have to dig into new episode. Uh, new episode. <laughs> so the Simon and Garfunkel's greatest hits peaked at number five on the UK album chart, and it was a number two hit in America. It's sold 14 million units in the U.S. alone. It is easily their best-selling album in the U.S. and holds the record in the U.S. for the best-selling album by a duo. Hmm. Sorry, Hall and Oates. In 2003, the album was ranked number 293 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. This is a huge album in my life. Track number one, Mrs. Robinson. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Let me just go through a couple more hits. The Boxer. Sound of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence Bridge over troubled water Counting the cars on the New Jersey Turnpike They've all come to look for America All come to look for America Cecilia skipping some that are still all hits right so this this is a great collection this has a good run for like a an outdoor afternoon barbecue drinking beer sitting on a porch if this is playing in the background it's a really great album totally try it try it try it listener you're gonna love it and report back (laughs) that's your homework (laughs) simon and garfunkel's greatest hits love it all right who's next Credence Clearwater Revival, Chronicle Volume 1. Okay. So we've mentioned John Fogarty a few times on the show, and he was, of course, the principal songwriter and lead singer of the band CCR, Credence. Their greatest hits album was called Chronicle Volume 1, 
released in 1976. It features 13 of the band's A-side singles and seven of their B-sides. It's by far the band's best-selling album. I will say, this is a great representation of the value of Greatest Hits for me. I enjoy some of their albums. I love their Greatest Hits album. That's the point. You're right. That's it. So, some highlights. Mm -hmm. Proud Mary. Now, some people think this was a cover of an Ike and Tina Turner song because that Tina Turner version is so iconic. But this was, in fact, written by John Fogarty. Their version came out two years earlier, even though Ike and Tina won a Grammy for their version. Huh. Oh, I left a good job in the city. Some other highlights. Who'll stop the rain? Down on the corner. Oh, yes. Down on the corner, out in the street, playing the pop the band, bringing it up. And their version of Heard It Through the Grapevine. just so many they're classics classics and you're right there's some filler on some ccr records i found out after but right. this was my gateway drug to ccr 100%. by far and the other thing is when you're young and you hear a greatest hit you're like man these guys were awesome right. <laughs> they didn't write a bad song right. exactly <laughs> you just don't get it at and that then point. you go check out cosmo factory and you're, you're like, like all right well yeah you're batting 500 yeah i got another one great Let's talk about the police. Oh, God. Every Breath You Take, colon, the singles. Oh, I, don't, I don't remember different. that it was Every Breath You Take. Yep, it's called first. Every Breath You Take, colon, the singles. But then they released another one after that called Every Breath You Take, colon, the classics, which had different versions of songs. But this, the singles one, which that is was, how I referred yes, to that it, was the singles, one. it's got that like royal blue and black cover the three of them maybe like red and yellow like it it's in there yeah this was released in 1986 reached number one in the uk album charts number seven in the u.s this was my way into the police by far yep i listened to this album maybe more than any other greatest hits compilation this was in the 80s the biggest thing that had ever happened yeah. for me so let's go through some of these yeah roxanne roxanne you don't have to put on the red light 
Walking on the Moon is one of my favorites of all time. I love that track. I don't even know what to say here because I love every single song right. on this record. It's, it's hard like, to pick out a couple. Pick a couple yeah. hits out of the hits, but obviously, every breath you take, which we've talked about, is like the number one played song on FM radio. Right. King of Pain. Here's another one that's chronological. So starts with the early hits, goes through the whole career. And what's the last one? Don't wrapped s- around your finger. Oh. Yeah. This one, don't stand so close to me, 86 is the version on this. I and see. I think so that's, that's what's different on the classics one. Don't stand so close to me. Yeah. I think that's one where they went back to the original. Yeah, cuz this is the re-recording right from Zenyatta Mandata. Yeah. So this one was a big this this has a lot of love for me. We also talked in a previous episode about how they broke up. Yeah. Based on the drum track because before they were going into the studio to record their album around the time this came out, Stuart Copeland broke his collarbone, couldn't play drums. And so Sting and Stuart Copeland got in a battle about which drum machine they were going to use. And Stuart Copeland says that was the last straw that actually broke up the band. Interesting. Um, but that was a good one for me. I love that album. Me too. All right. A few quick nominees, Clint. Yep. Remember the James Taylor Greatest Hits album? <laughs> I forgot about that one. That was a huge one. Huge for me. one. The huge. sort of off white. Yeah, yeah. That I with all... the with the tracks listed on the front. Another BMG or whatever. I that was in the same one. Wow. This was this was a gateway drug in yes. the James Taylor. Highlights for me: the first five tracks. <laughs> something in the way she moves. Something in the way she moves. Looks my way or calls my name. Carolina in my mind. Oh my God. In my mind, I'm gone to Carolina. Can't you see the sunshine? Can't you just feel the moonshine? Fire and rain. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Sweet baby James. Man. Good night, you moonlight ladies. Rock a sweet baby James. Deep greens and blues are the colors I choose. 
Won't you let me go down in my dreams And rock her by sweet baby James Country Road Take to the highway Won't you lend me your name Your way and my way Seem to be one and the same Mama don't understand it She wants to know where I've been I have to be some kind of natural bone food I wanna pass that way Beyond that, there isn't a track I skip But I particularly love Mexico Featuring Graham Nash and David Crosby singing the harmony vocals And though I have a special love for a few of his albums, like Mudslide Slim, Walking Man, Hourglass, it's really this greatest hits album that is magic. De- definitive. Definitive. It's so true. And it's his best-selling album, 11 times platinum. I think we're seeing a trend here, right? As a record label, you're like, we're going to make a lot of money on this. If we put all his great songs, I mean, it's, it's totally. no wonder it works. Of course. Of course. Good play. Right. I don't know why people have to hate so much. <laughs> you know who we should call for this? Because you and I are so similar yeah. in the fact that we just love great songs. We love c- collections of songs. But there are people out there that just despise the greatest hits in general because it goes against what the band was, uh, their purpose as a band, which was to create great albums. I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> so who should we call, Rich? <laughs> Jeff Simons? <laughs> yes, let's call Jeff Simons. <laughs> great. Let's do it. Jeff. Hello. Hey, buddy. How's it going, folks? Jeff, today's question is, what is the greatest, greatest hits album of all time? (laughs) Clint and I are convinced that you have some thoughts. Okay, so first of all, can I ask, is this a pro, generally a pro greatest hits conversation? Like, how do we feel about greatest hits albums in general? What do you think? Just bring it on. (laughs) Because here's the thing, I was trying to think about uh, uh, the greatest hits record is like a YouTube clip collection. You yeah. know, it's like Tyrion's 10 greatest speeches from Game of Thrones or Ron Swanson eat things in Parks and Rec for 10 minutes. You know how like there's those like yes. really specific <laughs> YouTube collections yep. and like they're funny, they're good, but they're like totally out of context and they don't, like if you said to some, somebody who is a huge Parks and Rec fan was like, have you seen Parks and Rec? And they're like, no, but I've watched those clip collections of, of Leslie giving gifts. They'd be like, well, you don't, you're not watching Parks and Rec. Like, oh no, I think I got it. I think I've got pretty much the gist. That's how I feel about Greatest Hits Records. Like they take, they take things really out of, out of their context and kind of lump them together. Um, and especially since now we all, we're all digital and we all have Spotify, like we could all make our own Greatest Hits record anytime we want. Yes. So for me, like the greatest hits collection is really only helpful with the singles artists before albums became the format. Like that, those records, like those greatest hits records from artists from the sixties before they were really allowed to try and even make long, like long play records. Those I think are really interesting and helpful and probably the best way to listen to those artists because those artists thought of themselves as individual song artists and not album artists. That's my overall take on them. I totally get why people like them. 
you know, if you have like a band you love and you're not a music collector and you just want to have 15 songs by that band in your car, they can be helpful. But most of the time, I think they're probably just put together just totally randomly. Like my favorite band, The Who, has like, no joke, probably 25 greatest hits records. I mean, they just they put one out every year just in case somebody walking by a drugstore is like, I've heard of them. They want to pay like $2 for my generation. And like, they're all pretty terrible. Like, there's now their single Who greatest hits collection where I'm like, oh, well, that really reframed and helped me understand the band more. They're just like, just shameless cash grabs. Yes. Did you have one that growing up like on an eight track or cassette that you actually listened to? Is there one in your childhood? Oh, to, well, I mean, that's how, that's definitely how I started. Like, I mean, all of my initial albums were greatest hits. Like I had Bob Dylan's greatest hits where he's like lit up from behind on that blue cover. And I had the Doors greatest hits. I had the Who's Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy, which is a collection of singles. That's definitely how I started. I had the the red and blue Beatles double albums, uh, okay. 1962 to 66 and 67 to 70. And I loved them all. Like, I mean, I, I get it. But I wouldn't, it's not like I missed those records or missed the songs and the context of those records as an adult. Well, and that's how we've talked about this, that the greatest hits is really the gateway drug. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. The gateway drug. That's hilarious. The greatest hits is half an edible, right? But there are some, for us, some transcendent greatest hits compilations. Like, for example, Bob Marley's Legend is, I think, definitive, you know? That's a great choice. I mean, there's more... I think a lot of Americans rediscovered Marley after his death through Legend. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, nobody was buying those those albums from the 70s until after Legend sold like 50 billion copies. That's a great pick. And you're not going to like mine, but I love that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers greatest hits with uh, Last Dance with Mary Jane. And that's something in the air at the end, too, right? Yep, and something in the air, exactly. So you know the story behind that, right? Like they, he owed them a record uh, the, before he switched to Warner Brothers. And they were like, well, you can just give us the greatest hits. And he was like, never, never in a million years. Greatest hits are so stupid. And then they at the contract said he had to put a new song on it. He got even angrier. And then it sold 23 million copies. He's like, well, maybe it was such a bad idea. After all, you know? <laughs> Jeff, we've talked about artists that their body of work is incredible, but their individual albums aren't necessarily really compelling. Like, for example, I put Credence in that category. Like, I don't love any one Credence album, but I love their body of work. Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, that's a really good example of a band yeah. with 20 great songs spread across six records. Yep. Yeah. Those are, all right, I may come around. You guys are, mine, mine is um, the very best of Sam and Dave. That's my favorite, like, greatest hits record where I really don't care about any of the records. Like, poor Sam and Dave, uh, the duo that did Soul Man and Soothe Me, and they have all those incredible singles, and then, like, all their records are so cheesy. Like, huh. my favorite is there's one where this record's called Hold On, I'm Coming, and it's Sam and Dave sitting on top of a cartoon turtle that's moving <laughs> really slowly. Get it? it? It is so embarrassing like I feel, I feel so bad for those two guys like they pour their hearts out in the studio and then that record comes out they must have just like kicked the door into the record company like what are you trying to do to us
Tell us about Sam and Dave, because they're a great example of like, you know, everyone knows Soul Man, but very few people could probably tell you that it was Sam and Dave. Yeah, they're the lost artist from the Stax Volt Memphis label that Booker T and the MGs is the house band and Otis Redding and uh, Carla Thomas and William Fell and Rufus Thomas. And, and uh, Sam and Dave had just a string of top tens for them, but they were R&B hits. The only Soul Man really crossed over. And probably without the Blues Brothers, like Belushi and Ackroyd doing it in the mid-70s, I don't even know if Soul Man would be one that everybody knows so well. But they did Hold On, I'm Coming, and I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down, and Soothe Me, and I mean, there's at least a dozen just killer tracks by those guys. They did rave-ups, they did ballads really well, and their greatest hits, the very best of Sam and Dave, uh, gets has all of the songs that are great. Like it doesn't miss one. It's just a really nice choice of one or two deep tracks to make it a really great listen. I actually I feel like I'm letting you down. Now. You guys have convinced me to be far less cynical about greatest hits than. Uh, we didn't even yeah. mention the Eagles' greatest hits, 1971. It's going to be a kinder, gentler Jeff moving forward. Frank Bruni in the Times talked about like we we're losing nuance because we're too polarized, and I. Uh, I no, couldn't no. agree more. Don't lose your edge. Don't lose your edge, Jeff. The listeners of this show depend on your edge. All it would take is me to actually listen to that record, and I'd be like, edge returned. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Great to hear from you. There's one we haven't talked about yet that was big. Yeah. And that is Steve Miller Band's Greatest Hits. Oh, God, I love 1974 that. 1974 to 1978. Released in 78. It just has hit after hit after hit. And this is this is one like the Credence, where the their body of work was so impressive. Mm-hmm. But the individual albums... Yeah. They had a lot of albums, and there were great songs on each album. But, but if you if you strip the, the down to just the greatest hits, and this was listened to all the time in college, I, I don't know. I it, I can hear this coming from dorm rooms, even in the '90s, and it was released in '78. Interestingly enough, all but one of the tracks came from their last two albums, mm. even though they had eleven studio albums at the time. So the shorter seven-inch single versions of Jet Airliner. Swingtown, The Joker, and Fly Like an Eagle are used in lieu of the longer album versions. So they took the short, sweet, radio-friendly hits and made this perfect album. I mean... I love it. It just... Let's play a couple highlights. Yeah, okay, so obviously, Take the Money and Run. Now, the drummer of this, that intro drum, is Gary Malibur. And he actually produced the Griff's 2004 album, Life Beyond Aluminum. Your band, The Grift. My band, The Grift. And so 
Gary Malibur is the guy who came up with that. This this drum beat didn't get songwriting credit, but that drum beat is very universal. The Joker. Cause I'm a picker, I'm a grinner, I'm a lover, and I'm a sinner. I play my music in the sun. I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight toker. I get my love in all. Fly like an eagle. I want to fly like an eagle to the sea. Fly like an eagle. Let my spirit carry me. I want to fly like an eagle to I'm free. Right through the revolution. Jet airliner. I mean, this this is an amazing, amazing compilation. I love tunes. it. I love that. I love that greatest hits album. Yeah. All right. How about another quick one? Okay. Hot Rocks by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> this was the compilation of the Stones' biggest hits from 1964 to 1971. Again, the gateway drug. Yeah. It was my way into the Stones. That album with the... The, the silhouette. Yeah. And the, the heads head, inside yeah, of heads. Yeah. It's a sample platter. It gives you the taste of their best work in the period from the British invasion to Sticky Fingers, just before they made Exile on Main Street. I enjoy every track, but the highlights for me are the sheer energy and attitude of Get Off of My Cloud. The anthemic Ruby Tuesday. Maybe my favorite Stones track, Wild Horses. Wild Horses was recorded in Muscle Shoals in December 1969. Mick Taylor, the guitarist who had joined the band that year and would only be in the band until 1974 before making way for Ronnie Wood, Mick Taylor plays the acoustic in what's called Nashville tuning, which is where you take the E-A-D-G strings tuned an octave higher than usual with lighter gauge strings. And Ian Stewart, who was the band's piano player at the time, refused to play on the track because he hated playing minor chords. Have you ever heard of that? (laughs) What? You ever heard of someone be like, no, no, I no. won't play on that. No. It's a minor chord. I'm too happy for that. <laughs> it's a minor chord. I don't You're play minor chords. Bringing me down. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Hot 
Rocks. Hot Rocks. I think, when was the Steel Wheels Tour? That 86? was 89? 89? Or 90? It's fuzzy, but I was in eighth grade driving to the Hoosier Dome to see the Stones. I didn't know the Stones at that point. I was a Beatles guy. I grew up with the Beatles. Right. And the Stones were the other guys. Yeah. They were like... They were like Purdue and I was IU. Or yeah. They were like Duke and I was UNC. Right. So I didn't listen to them. And we're driving out of the concert and I'm going with a friend's dad and my friend. And he put on Hot Rocks. Introduced on the way to the show, really, to the Stones by that record. And they ended up playing all, all those, those songs. songs. Right. And I can remember it. The great story about that is that I was in the nosebleeds for the first set. And then somehow we knew somebody, and I ended up eighth row at the Hoosier Dome in eighth grade for the Stones. Seeing it that close kind of it's, changed it's your life. Part of the reason I play music now is so inspiring. Also, smelled marijuana for the first time at that show. I can remember that vividly being like, what is that sweet smell? It was like the Hoosier Dome was like the whole top of the Hoosier oh, Dome God. was full Because you were in the nosebleeds. <laughs> you were like, you're probably so stoned watching. <laughs> yeah. I went to see that tour yeah. with my dad. You remember the honky-tonk women? Like they had this huge blow-up. Blow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that's a good one. Talk about a gateway drug. All right. What's your next one? Okay. Another one I'm going to come at you just sideways because you're not going to expect this, but John Denver's Greatest Hits Volume 1 is an absolute masterpiece. And the interesting thing about this one is that when the Greatest Hits album was released, John Denver said that he felt like he had progressed as a singer, progressed as an artist. So re-recorded a lot of the songs for the Greatest Hits album. So took didn't use the original versions of these songs. And they, they weren't hits in the sense of like, you know, there were a couple like Take Me Home Country Roads, you know, songs that people knew. But a lot of these are not standard hits in the way they would be number one hits, right? Hmm. But they were definitive of John Denver. So The Greatest Hits Volume 1 is a compilation of a few tracks taken directly from the albums and then four or five were completely re-recorded. The same song, just completely re-recorded for the Greatest Hits album. So he could show like his best, he could give you the greatest, greatest hits. It's interesting because, you know, in that sense, he saw himself as a songwriter and the songs were what mattered. Totally. Not the recordings. Right. And 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 he became a better singer. So he's like, I don't want to put that out. Right. Notable new versions were Leaving on a Jet Plane. Follow me. Follow me up and down all the way and all around. Take my hand and say you follow me. Rhymes and reasons. And you wonder where we're going. Where's the rhyme? Where's the reason? And it's you cannot accept. It is here we must begin to seek the wisdom of Sunshine on my shoulder. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. 
sunshine in my eyes can make me cry. This was his best-selling album of his career, nine times platinum, 10 million worldwide. It contains Take Me Home, Country Roads, is another, when you're talking about campfire karaoke and acoustic guitar sing-alongs, it's hard to top that. It's hard to top it. Country roads, take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home, country roads. Rocky Mountain High. Rocky Mountain High. My personal favorite of John Denver is Leaving on a Jet Plane, just because I have vivid memories of playing it in high school, around graduation of high school. I remember being at parties and playing that song, and it was like an anthem for our class. Interesting. And so, yeah, takes me right back. I also saw John Denver at Market Square Arena, where the Pacers played, huh. and it was moving. Loved it. All right, John Denver. John Denver. I'm going to get railed for this. <laughs> so... Clint, you had talked about your parents' record collections. I remember as a kid, my parents didn't have a huge record collection. It's skewed more Philharmonic than Phil Spector. <laughs> as you know, my mom's English, and she was in high school when the Beatles came out. And it, no matter how many times I ask her, she still doesn't remember the day Sgt. Peppers came out. <laughs> I love her, and I don't judge her too harshly for it. But one of the albums I do remember from their collection and playing it on our family record player as a kid is the Beach Boys 20 Golden Greats. Oh, man. A compilation of the band's hits from 1962 to 1969. It was released in the UK in June 1976. That was the month that I was actually born. And it was the second biggest selling album of that year in Britain. It reached number one and stayed there for 10 weeks. First of all, do you remember this? The cover is a painting of a surfer turning on a glistening wave. The sun sparkling in the water beneath bright blue skies. You can almost smell the Hawaiian tropic sunscreen. Wow. The Beach Boys, from this original era anyway, were Brian Wilson, the principal songwriter and genius of the band, his brothers Carl and Dennis, their cousin Mike Love, and their friend Al Jardine. The first two songs from that were Brian Wilson's Surf interpretations of Chuck Berry rock and roll. Surf in USA. If everybody had a nose across the USA, then everybody'd be surfing like California. You'd see them wearing their baggies, wear Archie sandals too. A bushy, bushy blonde hair. Fun, fun, fun. The band's first number one was I Get Around. A song that I love, that I remember loving as a kid, is Help Me Rhonda. Help me, 
which features Beach Boy Al Jardine on lead vocals, and the session band that includes Glenn Campbell on 12-string acoustic. Who later joined the band. Did he really? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. California Girls, written by Brian Wilson and Mike Love, with lead vocal from Mike Love. I wish they And from the band's high watermark, Pet Sounds, which would inspire the Beatles to create Sgt. Pepper's, God Only Knows, maybe Brian Wilson's greatest song. Maybe my favorite song of all time. Paul McCartney, he said, it's the greatest song ever written. Oh man, that song kills me. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you And Good Vibrations, a really ambitious track that blends instruments like theremins, early synthesizers, jaw harps with an incredible vocal arrangement and performance from the band. I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm picking up good, good vibrations And even though you and I love Kokomo, which comes much later in the band's career, this compilation of their essential hits really captures what the Beach Boys did best. Good Vibrations is a no-joke song. Like, almost impossible to reproduce. Totally. I mean, there's two basses, there's horns, there's yes. string. Like, it's just a massive undertaking. But to see that progression from those early hits all the way through to Good Vibrations is pretty cool. You're someone who's done a lot of vocal arrangements what is it about the Beach Boys? Like, as soon as you hear a Beach Boys track, you know yeah. it's the Beach Boys. I think part of it is they're all singing around one mic live, looking at each other in the eyes. And they have documentaries about this. If you go to YouTube, you can see, like, good vibration settings. I think they spent four days doing the vocals of that one song. Wow. And th- that song took months. Right. Just that one song. And there's a whole, it's like a short, it's probably 12, 15 minute documentary about that song. And it's fascinating. Mm. Highly recommend seeing it. But part of it is the arrangement. And it's got that, like it's always got those cool little Like nuggets. some of those falsetto yeah. harmonies. And that's Brian, right? Yeah. He was a master of harmony. Not in the sense of vocal harmony, but just like using notes to make chords in interesting ways, which also translates to harmony in the vocal sense. But his harmonic sense was so interesting. He would add notes that weren't just a major chord. He would add a ninth or a, you know, a sixth or a seventh note in there, which really because they had lots of singers. That's the other thing. General singing, you'd have a three part harmony. But on a lot of these Beach Boys things, they would five, oct- six, five, seven, six okay. voices like octaves. Yeah, there's definitely a sound. And you have to be a genius to write those arrangements, which he was, of course. But you also have to have great singers. Right. And those guys were great singers. Great, accurate, great blend. That's the other thing. If if you have... The thing about good harmony singing is having interesting voices, 
but also having voices that work well together. Your band, The Sweet Remains, you each have very distinct voices that alone are incredible. And you'd think that maybe it wouldn't work because they're such unique voices, but you have such great blend because you try to have great blend. Like it's part of the deal. Right. It's You have to listen and find, you don't want to be too loud. You don't want to have too much inflection on certain things. It's the blood in the veins, the brotherhood of freedom. And all that remains like the memory of Eden. Being able to blend is a super important part. Right. And what the Beach Boys did was blend. And they were, the four freshmen were like their inspiration, which is a group from before them. And they were a total vocal group. And they took so much from them. So here's a little snippet of the four freshmen. It's a time for joy, a time for tears, a time That's real singing. And it is interesting. Like they drew from the four freshmen and then Chuck Berry. And they and that's the Beach Boys. And that's the Beach yeah. Boys. Yeah. So I have just one quick Go ahead. thing. I just checked the iTunes top 10 of rock albums. Eight of the current top 10 on iTunes rock albums are greatest hits albums. Right now. Right now. Credence is in the top 10 journey oh journey's a good one eagles <laughs> queen petty and the heartbreakers fleetwood mac beatles one and zeppelin mothership so eight of the current top 10 rock albums on itunes charts are greatest hits albums that's coming from a playlist generation yeah right people that they People these days can't stand filler. I don't need filler in my life. Why would I have filler? Right. I want just, the hits. Just give me the hits. Just give me the hits. For a second, can we just talk about the Beatles one? Yes. Like having a greatest hits album of all number one hits. Mariah Carey had it. Michael Jackson had it. Look, we are Beatles homers. Like <laughs> anyone who's listened to the show knows that they're our favorite band. Yeah. And so in some ways, it's just so obvious that right. we would pick the Beatles. Right. But how can you not say that <laughs> a greatest hits album that is all number one and not and it's like it's twenty seven tracks. Right. Right? Like it's not it's not eight tracks and right. done. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. Twenty seven number one tracks in a row. And everyone knows every every single every song. single song word for word, starting with Love Me Do. Here's what I'm gonna do, Clint. Okay. I think I'm prepared to answer this question. Okay. And the reason I'm not going to pick the Beatles number one is because that's not the essential album. You know what I mean? Huh. Like if, if you were to give me a choice between picking one, the Beatles one or Sgt. Pepper, I might choose Sgt. Pepper. Huh. Right. Or I might choose Rubber Soul. Right. Or I might choose Abbey Road. Right. It's almost like not fair. It's, like it's almost not fair. Right. But if you were to say... Choose one Bob Marley record. There's only one. There's only one. Right. There's only one. Right. I love Bob Marley. He's one of my favorite artists of all time. 
And though I've listened to and enjoyed all of his individual studio albums, the greatest hits compilation legend is the definitive Bob Marley album. Don't you agree? I mean, one way to consider this conversation is this way. If you're going to a desert island and you could only bring one Bob Marley record, right? which one are you bringing? There's, see, that's the argument for the greatest hits album in general. Right. Put it in one. Legend. Legend. Released in 1984, three years after he died from a malignant melanoma. There's not one dud in this bunch, Clint. Listen to this track listing from the original vinyl release. Side one, Is This Love? No Woman, No Cry. Could you be loved? Three little birds. Buffalo Soldier. Get up, stand up. Get up, stand up, get up, stand up. Don't give up the fight. Life is your right. Get up, stand up. Steer it up. That's side one. I, I, that, what you just said was like college, late at night. <laughs> Totally. Like, that is my college experience totally. in a lot of ways. And then side two, I won't list them all, but side two has one love. One love, one heart. Let's get together and feel all right. I mean, they're all good. It's really the soundtrack of my college. So one significant criticism of this collection is that it seems to deliberately avoid his most political songs. And as such, was designed to appeal to white audiences. It's a fair point. Bob Marley wrote some incredibly poignant songs that laid bare the bitter truth of the slave trade, colonialism, poverty, and other issues that shaped his life and politics. Still, legend is definitive. It's omnipresent. And it's one of my favorite collection of songs of all time. So what's the greatest of the great? For me, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, greatest hits. This was my way into the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers yeah. by far. When they release greatest hits albums, the record label, generally speaking, adds a couple singles, right? So it's like, yeah, everybody's got these tunes and all, you know, all the hits. You have the albums conceivably, but we're going to add this new song that you can't get anywhere else. So at least in the 90s, 80s, 70s, you had to buy the album in order to have that song. And for this album, it was... Last Dance with Mary Jane. And it was a, it was one of their biggest hits ever. And it was not on any other album. It was released on the Greatest Hits album. Last Dance with Mary Jane One more time to kill the pain I feel so 
It's a great song. It's a great song. That song was originally titled Indiana Girl. Oh, see, that's why I love it. That's, why, you like it. that's why I'm drawn to you know, As all our listeners know, you're from Indiana. <laughs> Who's your Who's your daddy? So let's talk about this album for yeah. a second. Petty's best-selling album to date, 12 times platinum, and Mary Jane's Last Dance became the most popular song. It reached number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. It is interesting what you say about how labels would often throw these sort of extra bonus tracks on, but it's unusual that that bonus track becomes a hit in its own right no usually it's like oh they just put this together at the last second just to satisfy the record company or something and going back to our very first episode about can you create a masterpiece after the age of 40 once a band has put out a greatest hits album it's sort of like we're done in a lot of ways right yeah, yeah and yet tom petty would go on to as we discussed in that episode create maybe his his best work right a year or two after that and that song mary jane's last dance came out of that wildflower session with rick rubin amazing i listened to this album as if it were released as its own album not a greatest hits because i didn't know when you start listening to greatest hits album and you're young and you get this album you just listen to it I was unaware that there were other albums, honestly, like, right. You know, it's greatest hits. They were on other, but this was my beginning of Tom Petty. And every track on here is absolutely a banger. There is no filler. Yeah. It's, it's the expression is, you know, all killer, no filler. Yeah. Too many hits. What are the highlights for you? American girl. I won't back down, running down a dream, free falling, learning to fly into the great wide open. Let Mary Jane's last dance and something in the air. So I would say Tom Petty, you're saying Bob Marley, legend. Legend, did we do it? I think we did. <laughs> I think we did it. I think we did. All right. And, and we hope you had as much fun as we did. And we hope you'll join us again next time when we answer another age old question. Follow us on Instagram at the age old question, Facebook, the age old question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating.